0: Hey guys, uh, welcome to the call. It's to have a special guest on this call, so I'm really excited about a uh, old friend and uh, very talented uh, writer and speaker. He did speak at a at a seminar once for the for the Society Ambassadors, and and was a huge hit and and uh, also fascinating because he's been on a sort of own, his own journey, very similar to the truth. I don't know if I'll try to get into that, but it'll be fun to discuss. He's uh, I think I first heard of him through. Both the eye-gazing part, as he was doing in his book on the power of eye contact, I think it might have been just done with the game or something around that time. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's in the same spaces. I remember working on eye contact, like having me really try to understand eye contact to look at it, to work on what's my eye contact and approaching what's my eye contact for physical escalation. So I remember you know, kind of hearing about that book around the time of the game. Uh, since then, he wrote The Education of Millionaires, Uh, everything you won't learn in college about how to be successful. He uh, writes a lot for different magazines and publications. He did a very sort of uh, uh, controversial and hugely well-received article on on, on Tucker Max at at Forbes. I remember kind of reading that and kind of brought his personal life into it as well as being a game, uh, someone who had kind of read the game. And most importantly, we're here to talk about his newest book. And and as a writer myself, I can always – Relate to the amount of blood, sweat, and tears that goes into writing a new book, and this one's fantastic on a different subject. He did it with, with Brian Franklin, who uh, is, uh, you know, really one of the great uh, coaches to some of the most successful uh, CEOs and, and business strategy and leadership. So we're going to talk this week about abundance in the new year, about uh, you know both the, the inner game of abundance and the outer game of abundance, how you can get wealth inside and outside, which is sort of a small teaser, in a way, of the Society Intensive that we have coming up this Summer on Abundance. So without any further ado, I wanted to introduce a talent and friend, Michael Ellsberg.
1: Hey, Neil. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm, I'm really excited, and um, it's really an honor for me uh, because before we even knew each other, you know, I've been a writer for, for two decades or so, and before we even knew each other, you were uh, one of my writing heroes, and um, so it's an honor to be uh, interviewed by you. And also, um, I just so enjoyed uh, speaking to the society a few years ago. So everyone out there, uh, I'm really excited to be sharing with you as well.
0: Awesome, man. And, and so, so so we'll dive right in. I want to focus on the stuff in your new book, because I know that's what you're most passionate about. It also relates to this sort of New Year call that, that everyone else is doing. But I'll just start off with this. When you talk about wealth and true wealth in your book or in your life? What do you
1: mean by that? Right. So when most people think of wealth, they think of money. Um, but the problem with that definition is twofold. Um, one, um, you know, for my last book, The Education Millionaires, I, I interviewed about um, five or 10 self-made billionaires and 50 self-made millionaires. I, I've talked to lots and lots of wealthy people. And if you've been around those people, you know that, that um, money does not necessarily equate to happiness. Um and so in our book we talk about a concept we call true wealth, which is all the resources you need, financial and non-financial, to consistently have the experiences that you want to have in life. So, you know, a lot a lot of people we when we ask them, well, why do you want to have money? They say, Well, I want to be I want to feel free or I want to feel happy in my life or I want to feel safe and secure. And those are really good reasons. The problem is, money doesn't necessarily guarantee that you're going to feel those things. Um, it helps for sure. I'm not going to say it doesn't help. But actually, the experiences you most want in life, including f- happiness and security and freedom, but also love and power uh, and feeling powerful, feeling attractive, um, feeling creative, feeling on purpose, those are actually experiences that require a lot of different resources, not just money, uh, including your social capital, your network, your skills, your human capital, this whole range of of resources and abundance that you need to actually feel wealthy and not just have a lot of numbers in your bank account. But don't get me wrong, we also talk about how to increase numbers in your bank account, we just have a much fuller definition of what wealth actually is. And we have a plan of how to get that uh, into your life.
0: I heard uh, somebody speak recently, and, and this is one of my thoughts and prayers for your thoughts, because it really is one of my philosophies with uh, society when I when we go on these great adventure trips and things, which is that there's a Harvard professor, and he said, you know, money can't buy happiness, but money can buy experiences, and experiences uh, lead to happiness. Uh,
1: absolutely, yeah. Well, if if you think, okay, if you think, so let's say somebody wants money because they want to buy a Ferrari or they want to have a nice house. Well, why do they really want a Ferrari or a nice house? Ultimately, it's going to go down to some feeling or experience. They want the Ferrari because they want to feel powerful or attractive or they want to attract, you know, attractive women into their life. Well, why do they want that? It always comes down to some feeling. Um, And ultimately, uh, like that professor said, you know, money can help you in your quest for those feelings. But actually it, it can't buy it directly like you here's an example you can buy a very fancy meal at a restaurant and you can buy the experience of having a fancy meal but you actually can't buy the relationship with the person that you're having the meal with you actually have to you have to create that and most of the things that we value in life we actually have to create now some of the things we need to use to create it require money so for example to build an amazing social life you often have to travel. You have to, you know, go out to dinner with people, go out to bars, entertainment. So it does require money. We're not denying that. But the bulk of what's required is actually your own skill set, your own skill at how to build relationships, your own skill at how to be a good friend, and um, those those skills are actually much more important than the money that you have in your bank account. You know, I'm pretty open about the fact that even though I I don't I write these books. know about uh, business I I don't have like ridiculous amounts of money in my bank account so okay so you might ask okay well why are you writing these investment in business books is because if you look at my lifestyle dollar for dollar on the money that I earn and the money I have in my bank account I will I will go toe to toe dollar for dollar to any billionaire any you know trillionaire whatever because I know how to create the experiences I want. I know how to create the experiences I want socially, sexually, romantically, creatively, spiritually, emotionally, intellectually. And those are that's a skill set that you can actually invest in. Uh and we, you know, we talk about exactly how to invest in that in our book.
0: So so let's uh and I wanna so and by the way I can vouch for Michael's lifestyle and He's got a pretty awesome lifestyle you would definitely want to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> And, uh, and and so let's let's kind of like what I'd love to do is um, you know is really give people some, some solid takeaways uh, that they can sort of just begin implementing in their life right now. So my thought is, and I'm not sure you know where where to begin with it, with the idea of happiness exchange rate or some of the other stuff that, that that's there. But let's just say there's a variety of people on this call. Some people have really gotten everything they've wanted in life. And gotten there yet? Maybe felt like something's missing. That's one kind of person coming on this call, and the other kind of person on this call, which maybe is about 75% of the people on this call, are uh, hungry. You know, they're we're starting they're looking for their other uh, a couple types of people. Some are in their passion uh, and doing what they like, but they're just not as far along as they'd like to be. Maybe they're starting their own company or kind of being entrepreneurial. And another type of person uh, is. Um, in working, and by the way, I'm probably leaving some people out. But uh, but you know, another type of person is maybe in a job, but that's not really what their kind of passion is and where their happiness lies. So so that's kind of a thumbnail sketch of the people we're talking to. And again, I might be leaving some of you out, but there's going to be some question and answers so you can speak to something specifically. And I'm sure what my class is saying will speak to everybody. But my quote is: If we're sort of thinking about you know increasing, uh, uh, you know, our wealth, our true wealth, as you put it. What are the things are going to, people are going to want to start doing and thinking about it right now?
1: Great. Um, yeah, there's there's a bunch of concepts I'd like to share as concrete takeaways uh, if we have time in the call. The one I want to start with is a concept we call systemic spending. Um, so uh, most well, – let's, let's actually back up for one second. I'll just say what we call the financial advice commonly delivered. This is the typical – um, uh... investment advice that you'll read in ninety nine point nine percent of investment books in fact pretty much every investment book except ours uh... that's on the shelf at your barnes and noble or whatever they'll tell you basically okay you should scrimp and save you know you should you shouldn't drink those lattes you know you should have homemade coffee and you know, don't don't eat out ever um you know you should cook your food and uh, you should comparison shop on the price of gas to make sure you're getting the best deal. And with all of that stuff, you're gonna be a miser in your whole life for 40 or 50 years and you save as much as you can and you put it into the markets and then supposedly it's supposed to grow at an annualized rate of 7% per year above inflation because that's what the markets have done historically. Uh, And then all that saving, all that growth is gonna lead to a big nest egg in your retirement, which you can then finally, when you're 65, enjoy your life and you can go play golf or go on cruises. So we call that the financial advice commonly delivered or fucked for short. Uh, And um, our plan is completely opposite to that because we start at the same place with earning. You gotta earn money to invest it, obviously. Um, but then instead of scrimping and saving we go straight to spending and you could say well how could a, an investment plan um, start with spending aren't you going to lose all your money that it's, way
0: doesn't it's be a very popular book I can tell. yeah exactly yeah our
1: subtitle is spending now to increase your true wealth forever so how could a wealth book start with spending how are you going to get wealthy you know spending? Money on, you know, flat screen TVs or or trips to Tahiti or whatever it is. Well, we don't just advocate typical American consumerist spending. What we advocate is something we call systemic spending. And what that means is for everything you spend money on, you look at how does that impact every other area of your life besides the area you're spending money on. So if you break it down, most people have you know several areas of their life that we that they really care about. Um, most people care about health, you know, which includes um, nutrition and fitness. Most people care about relationships, which includes um, love and romance, sex, and your community of your friends and family. Most people obviously care about money, which includes your income, your net worth, your career. Most people care about um, some cultural activities like art, travel, um, your home environment. Um, most people care about having some kind of purpose, leaving a legacy, contributing to others, having some kind of spirituality. Um, and most people want to uh, give value to other people and contribute. So that that's creativity and your influence. Um, so these are the areas so our recommendation with systemic spending is every time you're going to contemplate a purchase uh, think about how it impacts all the other areas of your life so for example uh a um you know the the typical investment plan would say that eating out um you know going out to dinners is is a waste of money that's that's consumerism you should not do that you should sit at home and cook ramen and that's how you're going to save money But what if you consider that dinner as an investment? Now, it's not going to be an investment if you just, you know, go out to dinner with your buddies and talk about sports. But what if you gather three to five to 10 people who are in your network who you want to build a deeper relationship with, including maybe two or three people you don't know that well that you want to get that you want to, you know get to know better so that you have new people in your network what if you do that and you get together and you mastermind over lunch or you or or you talk about you know really significant issues that are that the world is facing so you increase your knowledge and your your value to others via your knowledge that starts to feel like an investment and you know we'll talk about what the markets are doing but lately that's that's probably going to pay off in terms both in terms of your cold hard cash that you have and in terms of your non-financial experiences, as we've been talking about, that you have in life, your your, your true wealth, that actually becomes an investment into those things. You know, another example is, um, let's say, for example, you're you're contemplating traveling. Well, you could just go on one of those all expenses paid uh, cruises to Hawaii or something and, and sit by the beach. That that it does feel like typical consumerism. But let's say you travel to uh, go take part in, let's say, something like the society. I, um, I don't know the specific trips that you've done, but I know that that the society does a bunch of uh, adventure travel where you not only get to learn, but you also um, really build relationships with other entrepreneurs who can be part of your, uh, your um, network and friends for the rest of your life. That starts to feel like an investment, not a consumption. And our argument is that those types of investments actually pay off better than the traditional investments in the markets and the last point i want to make on this is if you start to view your spending this way systemically you have much more money to invest um you know a, a huge factor in how successful you're going to be investing is how much how much money do you have to invest you know, most people only save a few thousand dollars a year If they're lucky i mean most americans the average actually saves essentially zero or even goes into debt a little bit more each year but even if you put away a few thousand dollars uh each year you're in like the top you know um quintile of of american saving well that's not that much money to to save to invest to grow but let's say you earn sixty five thousand dollars after taxes per year if you view every one of those dollars or even say 75% of those dollars as a potential investment in your health, in your career, in your relationships, in all the things that you want to grow and develop in your life, now you have $65,000 per year to invest, not $5,000. And that makes all the difference.
0: And let me ask a question on this, um, which is uh, – which is. Um... So, as an example, Keith Ferrazzi, who spoke to us and wrote a book called, uh, you know, Never Eat Alone. Yeah. Uh, you know, for example, I think he was telling me, it might have been him or someone else, that if he flies first, he's always flown first class, even when, like, he's not in the in- income range to-, to fly first class. Right. Because uh, fly first class, he's going to sit next to successful people who you can start a conversation with and build a relationship with. So, in other words, spending all that extra money, okay, he's not, he knows, like, the extra leg room and, uh, you know, getting some free food is not really worth that price. But what is worth the price is building a, a relationship with, with, with the person he's sitting next to.
1: Yeah. and so an
0: example of what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah,
1: and to generalize that point, I found personally that the, the, the more you go into environments where there's some requirement to be there, so, you know, you have to you have to pass some screens or you have to invest a significant amount of money or it's just not, not everybody off the street can come. The more likely you're going to meet people who um, are like you, who are investing in themselves. I mean, you always want to be around people. You know, there's that famous Jim Rohn uh, quote that you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So you want to make sure those five people or the 50 people you hang out with most are also people who are... Um, improving themselves and on the same path to growth that you are and uh, finding yourself in environments where there's some exclusivity including like the, the society where men are you know paying to be there and there's an application process and so forth um, is one of the best ways to improve the quality of who's in your life
0: uh great uh so um, awesome. So so so. I, I like that idea. I like, I mean, I think I think it's an interesting idea. So now, what are the criteria? I mean, under that philosophy, you could kind of rationalize spending on anything. You know, so they're kind of criteria on which you'd sort of, uh, you know, look to it. You're really, you're really like, how are you going to judge whether something's a good sort of spend, let's say, spending on yourself investment or not, or some anything that you're doing to make yourself feel good, to bring you happiness, to bring you closer to others, you know, a good investment no matter what. Right. Well, for example, yeah. uh, you know, somebody won't, I mean, I'm sure like, Hey, I would, I would like a Tesla. <laughs> you
1: yeah.
0: <know>? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, you. Well, one thing is you can't just use this as a philosophy to justify business as usual. Like you have to really think about and change the way you spend to make it into investments. But it's not once you get thinking about it, like you see opportunities everywhere. And the, the difference between what we're talking about and the traditional fucked plan is that uh, our plan is is very iterative. You know, you can see results in three months or six months. Whereas you really can't see results with the with the traditional plan, uh, possibly for decades. You know, just an aside right now, you know, the, the market supposedly is supposed to go up 7% per year annualized ahead of inflation. And that's historically what it's done. So that's what the investment advisors uh, say that you should expect. And they base all their retirement plans on that. Well, if you look at what the S&P has done for the last 15, 16 years since The first right right before the first dot com crash in two thousand, it's gone up annualized one point nine percent above inflation. That's just not very much, and it's not going to lead to a great nest egg. Um, So, and 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 then people say, well, uh, the the investment advisors say, well, that's what it's doing for fifteen years, you know. But just wait, it's going to get better. Well, how do you know that? I mean, they don't have a crystal ball. They don't know what it's going to do. It might get better. It might get worse. But to wait fifteen years with no action essentially, and then hope that it's gonna get better in another 15 or 30 years is a really frustrating uh, and stressful way to invest. Whereas let's say, let me take an example here. Uh, Let's say you have $1,000 to invest, and you're deciding whether to buy, uh, let's say a a fancy home entertainment system or a series of uh, personal uh, training that will help you you get in shape. Um, Well, if you look at systemic spending, you know, the home entertainment system probably will have you, you know, sitting on the couch, eating Fritos more, you know, watching kind of mindless entertainment, whereas the, uh, the, you know, the investing in personal training will have you get fit, it will have you get in shape, and that's going to radiate out into all the other areas of your life. Because if you get in shape and you ha- develop a great exercise plan, you're going to feel more confident, you're going to have more energy, you're going to be more attractive, and that's going to help you at work, that's going to help you with women, it's going to help you everywhere. Um, so that investment, could pr- you'll probably see results in that investment with, within three months. Now, you never see results in the traditional plan in three months or a year, but with this iterative plan, you can, you can really see what's working and what's not. And you might make some mistakes along the time, but you'll, you'll know that you made mistakes within, like, six months at the most, and then you can, you can course correct.
0: Great. Uh, awesome. So, anything? Uh, so, let's, uh, let's. Is there a couple other? Maybe what we can do is go over a couple other tools. Yeah. Let's go. Uh, let's yeah, go. I, let's go. I guess. You know, or, or go ahead. Go. Go dive in. Yeah. Out let out me. Let me just there.
1: go through go the, some of the different takeaways. So, we've talked about systemic spending. The next major topic we talk about is called happiness exchange rate. So, what this means is, let's say that you. Let's. I'll just keep using the example of. Uh, uh, let's say you make seventy-five thousand dollars. Um, after tax Uh, and let's say that some other guy named we'll just call him Jim also makes $75,000 after tax and let's say that you're really happy in your life and you love you know you love your life you love your career you know you love your relationships you love your family like everything's going well in your life and let's say Jim you know doesn't like his life and he's miserable he doesn't like his career you know he doesn't like his health he doesn't like his relationships you're both spending the same amount of money, but you're way happier than Jim. So we talk about just like there's an exchange rate between different types of currency, like the dollar and the euro. There's also an exchange rate between how much money you spend and how much happiness you're getting back. Now it, that doesn't mean that every dollar you spend directly influences your happiness, but it does mean that there's there's wildly different swings. Uh, between what one person, the kind of happiness yield one person gets for the money they spend versus the happiness yield that someone else gets. And the reason this is, you know, this isn't some like airy-fairy, you know, hippie philosophy about just smelling flowers and uh, loving life. You know, the reason this this relates to an investment plan is that this your happiness exchange rate is probably one of the biggest line items in your entire budget so if you're if you're blowing lots of cash on you know partying and you know going like buying a bunch of gadgets and buying fancy clothes, you know, think of all the stuff you spent. look around your room right now. what percentage of stuff have you spent money on that really didn't give you that much pleasure? three months later or a year later, you know, which gadgets are sitting in your garage right now you know, home storage, uh, personal storage is one of the fastest growing industries uh, in America, you know, how, how many things are sitting in storage right now that you spent money on that just didn't give you very much happiness. So if you learn to find out what kind of things actually give you lasting happiness, um, what kind of things can you plug into this system of spending so that you're you're using your money to develop a better community, a better tribe, which is one of the topics I'm going to talk about soon. Uh, better relationships, better confidence and self-esteem. Those are, oh you know better creativity. Um, you know really mastering an art form that gives you pleasure over decades. Those are the kind of things most likely that are going to give you the the best happiness exchange rate. And you know people people waste um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars over their lifetime with a bad happiness exchange rate. Um, one, one example we use in the book, which I think uh, the listeners here will find uh, entertaining, uh, there was a guy a couple years ago named Alex Hope, who was a, a British uh, exchange, foreign exchange trader when he was 23, and he got a bunch of media for racking up the most expensive bar tab in history. So this guy is famous for having the most expensive bar tab in history. So one night he was out partying with some friends and he just decided to blow a huge load of cash. And he bought like seven, like 40 different $750 bottles of wine for people in the bar, you know, mostly for women in the bar. Um, and then he, he bought uh, the, the most expensive bottle of wine on the champagne uh, on the market. Uh, no, of champagne, excuse me, on the market. It was called a, a, a Ace of Spades, and it's 99 pounds, and two waiters had to carry it around. And get this, the price for it was $230,000. So this guy ended up over the night spending $330,000 for a night of drinking. Uh, i 'm not even sure if he ended up having sex because of it or not, <laughs> but either way um you know this is this is a lot of money to spend for you know one night of drinking now how much How much happiness did he get from that well the The, the Huffington Post actually interviewed him after this and asked him why he decided to spend his money this way and The answer he gave is well, you know this is a really fancy bottle of, of champagne and The only other person who's ever bought this is Jay Z. And so, you know, to be in a a class with Jay Z was really nice. That's what he said, really nice. Well, you know, what other ways could you have an experience that you end up classifying as really nice? How about, you know, a picnic with, uh, you know, with a woman that you're interested in or with your friends, you know, that would cost 30 bucks or 50 bucks? You know, you could probably get quite nice for a lot cheaper than $330,000. So, what we're arguing is that you know if you have a propensity, and you might not be as extreme as this Alex Hope guy, but probably there's areas where you're throwing money down the drain, where you're spending lots of money on things that ultimately don't actually make you happy. And our argument is that if you invest, and yes, you have to invest to learn what makes you happy and to learn um, you know, what types of things give you the most bang for your buck money-wise. Um, and once you invest to learn those things, then you need to earn less money to be happy and if you earn more money you can save more of it because in our in our plan you need to have savings everybody needs to have savings um, but the question is how you get to the savings and our argument is instead of scrimping and saving and you know you, you know cutting coupons at this at the supermarket to save 26 cents argument is look at your happiness exchange rate you're probably going to save not twenty six cents, but twenty six thousand dollars or two hundred sixty thousand or two point six million dollars over your lifetime uh, if you do that. And that's a much better way to save and it's more fun too. You get more happiness and, and you don't have to scrimp and save.
0: Awesome, cool. I love it. Great awesome great great concept. Yeah. Great concept. I think yeah. it's true that we I mean I find that to be true with um you know, with uh, with uh, with personal growth, like you can't—it's hard to put a dollar figure on you, know, on you know on personal growth. You can say uh, it's hard to put. Um, uh, it's so 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 it's easy to, and it's also not always easy to say if you're not watching. Hey, how have I changed from today to tomorrow? How have I grown? How have I changed?
1: Um, no, yeah, that's yeah. absolutely right. I, uh, the, I mean, the, the, the sort of the, yeah. the,
0: the reverberations of it and again when people, even people come to when we uh, talk about money and wealth. The first thing that I discuss is like, well, what's your relationship with wealth? Not here are the tactics to do it, but what's your relationship with it that we have to work on first uh, before before even work getting to the tactical stuff.
1: Yeah, uh, and it's yeah. the things
0: that have less of that one to one financial correspondence that are more valuable than the money
1: itself. Yeah, exactly. And most of the things that are non-financial in your life um, are way more valuable than anything you could buy with money. So if you think about you know, that one or two or three relationships you have with your closest loved ones and, you know, with uh, a woman you have in your life or your girlfriend or your wife um, or your best friends, you can't put a price tag on that. You know, you can't that that you, know, you, you might have to spend a couple thousand dollars a year to maintain those relationships with traveling and, you know, going to dinner and buying birthday presents and that kind of thing. But that the, the comparison between the couple of thousand dollars you spend to maintain the relationship and, and the, the value that that relationship has to you in your life is incomparable. And, and it's only in this non-financial realm that you can create things of value that have almost infinite value to you. Um, another example for um, you know I you know you and me Neil are writers and we've put literally decades into honing our craft. I get so much enjoyment out of my writing. You know I all I need is a computer which I already own, and I get you know five or six hours a day of feeling completely alive and creative and engaged with my purpose and contributing to others and and a sense of meaning in my life. Well, I had to invest to get there. I had to spend a lot of money on. Uh, you know, learning all this, and more than money, time, you know, I had to spend just enormous right. quantities of time to get to this point. Um, but now that I'm here, I have this essentially free source of joy in my life that will last, you know, if I, if I'm around when I'm 80 or 100, I want to keep writing. And that's not true. You know, that, that uh, expensive doodad, digital doodad you bought that might actually seem outdated in three to five years at the pace we're going with technological advancement. So the, the difference on return you get here is is completely um, incomparable. So why don't I go on to just a couple other yeah, the no, tools?
0: But I, honestly, I think those are great points that I think early on when I was doing, doing internships or writing for free, uh, people said, hey, you're being exploited. You're an idiot. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I love what I'm <clears> doing and I'm where I want to be around these people I'm learning from and it's freaking you know awesome and uh and and uh but I think it's hard. I think I love what you're saying. Cause I think it's hard for people. It is not like I do this right now and I press this lever and I get a reward that comes out. Right. That's easy to understand that it's hard to say like okay, I do this for nothing or I spend money to do this. Right. And then like, you know, in a few years later, I get not just this reward but all these other amazing things, I get a lifestyle, you know, I get happiness, I get a new social circle, I get a, you know, higher pay, a higher amount, you know, I get money, I get all these things. Um, when it's not such a one-to-one correspondence uh, and it's instantaneous, it's harder to understand. And that's why I think it really takes people with a certain kind of vision who can make that investment themselves that you're talking
1: about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to pay your dues and the earlier you start paying your dues in some field that you care about uh, the better, you know, the, the, the and, kind and of, and I would
0: challenge, and it just, just kind of, and I'm going off what you're saying here, the expression of pay your dues still expects, is, is still an idea and what is an expectation? I'm still pulling a lever. I'm going to get this paid back. And right. Is, I think it's, uh, it is you know, is there a sense of paying? Because even when I was paying my dues, I can think, oh, those are my paying my dues days, but those are kind of my happiest days when I was like starving and I could not afford, you know, food and, but i spend the saveable, I might to go to a movie and I'd like eat some popcorn that someone left on the seat next to me. Like, like, you know, like yeah. I definitely wasn't happy or miserable. I mean, I definitely wasn't miserable most times. I'm like, I'm seeing an awesome movie and fucking chowing down <laughs> some leftover popcorn. I'm not getting sick. Yeah. Um, but, but like those, those are, those are some of like, my happiest moments in my life.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we all want is a, is a sense of adventure. And, you know, you can, you can, you know, buy prepackaged adventures and go bungee jumping or go on some... Um, you know, eco tour in Costa Rica, and, and that, that might be fun. But actually, the greatest adventures in life um, usually require the least amount of money. They're the ones where you, you know, you, you show up in some foreign city, and you literally don't know where you're going to sleep that night. And you have to, you know, you have to, like, seduce somebody or, you know, make a new friend, you know, in the next six hours, to, before, so you have a bed to sleep on. Or, you know, or what you were talking about, a career. Um, where there's a a development over time, you can look back and say, yeah, there was this time when I was a starving artist, and now I'm successful. Um, And just to loop back to one of the points you were making um, just recently, that one of the litmus tests about what type of skill to invest in is, you know, what's going to happen if you get really, really good at this skill? Um, so let's take um learning an art form like writing or music or public speaking um or uh versus you know playing video games, for example. Now I don't want to knock if people enjoy playing video games to blow off some steam after work or whatever, I'm not trying to knock that. But you know, there's people who spend five or six hours a day playing video games and what would happen if they invested that in say becoming a better writer or musician or something like or dancer well okay let's let's make the comparison you know if you get really 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 good at video games you know maybe you'll like win some you know video game contests or something in 10 years but you know probably not that much is going to come from it but if you pay your dues and if you put the the ten thousand hours in to get really good in art form you may not become famous but so many other things will come into your life you know you'll you'll probably be able to make money in some way from from that either performing or teaching um you'll you know your social status will go up um you're you know obviously you're gonna be more attractive to the opposite sex um, you know anyone who's any guy who's an artist is attractive to the opposite sex any guy who's a great video game player is not usually um so uh just on account of those things so look at what hap- what happens if you get really really
0: Pie may be an exception there PewDiePie yeah i mean there's of course yeah up up up, uh, up ended that <laughs> yeah i mean there's exceptions yeah, here
1: you, you know said. there's exceptions there's there's poker players who you know get a lot of action but you know most most probably you know, there's just huge differences in the social payoff of the kind of things that you yeah. can invest your time in. Um, so now I want to now talk about probably the most important skill in terms of your financial success. Uh, and that's what we call investing to increase your value to others. Um, so think about the ways that you might invest to, to make more money in your life. And usually when you hear the word investing, you think about Putting it in the markets, which as we said have done essentially nothing for the last 15 years uh, so How how else could you invest to make more money? Well, our argument is the biggest asset you'll ever know in your life is your earning power even if you're earning the the net the 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 median American household income of $50,000 per year over 40 years that's uh like that's what like 200 uh let's see that's like two million dollars net worth um over you know coming into your life of lifetime earning you know most people are not going to own a two million dollar home and most people are not going to have two million dollars sitting in their bank at any time but you already have an asset that has a net present value of two million or three million or ten million dollars and that's your net lifetime earnings so once again you know it it, so much of investing depends on the base you're starting with. If you earn a rate of 10, 000, 10% return, but you're starting with $1,000, that's a $100 gain. Or if you're 10, 000, starting with $10,000, that's a $1,000 gain. But if you invest and you can up your net lifetime earnings by 10%, and your net lifetime earnings are $2 million, which is probably applies to most of the people on this call, then that's $200,000 more coming into your life. That starts to feel like more significant money. So we talk about investing to increase your value to others. And there's so many ways uh, you can do that. Uh, the way, what we talk about are the, the super skills. And the super skills, there's four major super skills. And these are skills that are valuable no matter what context you're in, wherever you work, uh, whatever the, the, you know, the wider economy is doing, whatever's happening, whether we're in a bear market, a bull market, whatever, these are skills that are always valuable and always in demand. Um, and we talk about four um, areas of super skills, um, social super skills, creative super skills, technical super skills, and physical super skills. Let me just break those down real quick probably the, the the quickest way to see a bump up in
0: so and that's and what I guess for for clarification that so basically if these are always in demand it's sort of like whatever's going on in the economy, you know unless we're in the midst of something you know no. unprecedented right or whatever is going on kind of trend wise if you have one of the one or more of these four skills there's always going always going be a place for you at the market. exactly
1: so uh, let me it, yeah. that's exactly right and the the four skill these are four skill areas and then there's lots of sub skills you could learn. Um, So let me start with the social super skills. So that this is probably the, 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 the most, the one that has the most direct immediate impact on your income. And that's uh, things like leadership, sales, which is a very social, um, uh, you know, social discipline uh, and networking. Let's just take, there's many others, but let's take those three. There's so many ways you can invest in your um, your leadership skills. You can you can go to Toastmasters. You know, for an investment of maybe thirty five dollars or fifty dollars a year, you can go to Toastmasters and you know a lot of time invested also, um, and become a better public speaker. That's gonna that's gonna influence your leadership and your earning in almost any career. If you can make kick ass presentations, if you know how to talk really persuasively, if you learn the structure of persuasion and argument. Uh, that's going to, you're going to make more money over a career, over, you know, five or 10 years of a career than if you don't have those skills. Um, Same with sales. You know, even if you're not directly in a sales position, people are, you're selling things all the time. If you're, let's say you're some middle manager in a corporation and you're not in a sales position, you might say, well, why should I learn sales? Well, you've got to sell your ideas internally. You got to sell your your direct reports on the idea of putting, you know, working harder. You got to sell your um, your bosses on the idea of giving you more resources. You're constantly having to sell ideas, and if you are in sales, you know, learning sales skills is one of the the best economic insurance policies you can have because if you're good at sales, there's always going to be work for you. Good salespeople are, you know, there's, there's a million bad salespeople, but good salespeople are always in demand in, in any industry. And it's a, it's a universal skill. Um, so investing in your sales skills, um, also investing in your social network. This is a huge area. You know, doing things like the society is really important for that. Um, but, uh, you know, join, going to conferences, workshops, joining um, professional networks, uh, things like that you know, ho- spending money to host parties. Uh, to, v- And this is incredibly important because anytime that there's some financial uncertainty, some economic uncertainty, uh, let's say there's layoffs happening uh, at your company, for example. Um, if you have a wide network, you'll know that you can start now looking for a different position and you get the latest scoop on where the economic opportunity is. Um, so those are social super skills, which you can invest in. Um, creative super skills are things like learning to be a better writer, um, learning how to ideate really well, come up with new ideas, um, you know, learning um, how to, well, it's something we call contextual importing, which is taking an idea in one area and importing it into another area um, to, to you know, to make, uh, to, to, to create more value. So an example of that might be, um, say like copywriting, for example, um, you take, you know, you take skills that you learn at a copywriting seminar, and then you import them into within your business where copywriting is usually not used. I mean, within your company and you use those skills to write better memos and, and more persuasive memos to get your agenda, um, you know, put through in, in your company. Um so these are there's all these there's all these creative skills uh you can invest in um and investing in general in improving your creativity you know creative people are always valued more in an organization um that doesn't mean that you know the artist sitting at Starbucks making sketches is necessarily going to be you know a CEO of a company but in general if you take two employees or two entrepreneurs uh, and one is not very creative and the other one has really invested in um, thinking creatively and learning an art form so they can they can import the ideas and the, the attitudes and the practices that they that they develop learning an art form into and kind of translate it into business. The one who's more creative is always going to win. Um, so that's creative super skills. Uh, the, the other two are um, technical super skills. So, um, you know, learning, um, you know, just even if you just learn like basic web design, um, you're going to be way ahead of most of your competition because um, you can then, you know, anytime you have have an idea, you can like mock it up and you can create a little site that expresses the idea. Um, you know, learning, um, learning how to how to kind of do s- use the scientific me- method informally to test different things, to split test different things in your life. Um, these are all technical super skills you can invest in, um, and lastly, uh, physical super skills, and that has to do with things like your health. Um, you know, investing in having a really vibrant health and healthy eating, and lot, having lots of energy. These skills, all of these super skills, radiate out into every other area of your life, and health is one of those ones where if you invest heavily in that, um, it's going to radiate out into every area of your life. Um, and we even talk about sex. We're probably the only investment book in history that has a section on sex. Um, and so, why do we talk about about sex? Well, our argument is you can actually invest time and energy and learning into learning how to have a better sex life, and that is a super skill. That's going to radiate into every other area of your life. I mean, you're probably not going to make money from it directly, I would think, but you're going to make you're going to have a lot of benefits in your life come to it indirectly, and not just the the enjoyment of better sex, although that's obviously the main benefit, <laughs> but you're going to have more confidence, you're going to have more energy, you, know, you can tell on a Monday morning, you know, you can tell which people in the office have gotten laid that weekend and which haven't, men and women. And so it's there's just like an extra pep in your step, if you're having an amazing sex life. Um, So even investing in that um, is going to radiate out into every area of your life. Um, So these are the super skills that all fall under the heading of how to increase your value to others. And if you invest in all these things and kind of combine them all together into a system of your life that has all these different areas working together to create excellence in your life, your earnings are going to go up. And that's probably the best financial investment you could possibly make.
0: Awesome, man. I think I, I love I love this because I really think this is sort of a nice counterintuitive yet totally intuitive when you talk about it way to think about uh, You know, investing and and money. We can really be fixed on on, on short term, short term, short term stuff. So, what, so I'm, my thought is, unless there's another tool you want to mention, what we can do is open up to questions and people are going to ask specific stuff, uh, both about what you're talking about, about their own goals for the new year, uh, and maybe about personal quandaries they're having. I really think that. Every moment in life, I've been having a discussion about this. Is you're given a clean slate in life. You know, you're just born, and uh, you know, and you're born to whatever you're born with. You're born with certain, you know, pre- predispositions. You're born in certain, uh, let's say, socioeconomic conditions. You're born with, you know, a certain set of parents and all this. Uh, and then at some point, you're you you get to make choices. And the questions are, you know, are you what are the choices you're making for yourself? Are you really making the healthiest uh, you know, choices are gonna to lead to the most uh, the most happiness and the most fulfillment and the most self expression, or are you making sort of doomed choices which are which are taking you which are maybe destructive to to your own goals. And I think those I think having the tools, the skill set, the knowledge, the concepts and the mentoring to make those right choices maybe can be one of our goals. In in, in 2016, like every moment, you have the opportunity to kind of recreate your life or get yourself, you know, kind of moving in the right direction. And and I think a lot of people uh, have this problem of making choices that feel, seem right and logically seem right, yet in the past, those choices have consistently not worked. (laughs) And yet they still keep making them feel like this time it's going to work. Yeah. Um, so we really want to help you with 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 all the all those uh, all those all those kinds of things. Anything else you want to add? It's maybe another. I love these uh, sort of tools and yeah. Well, sharing I'm, yeah.
1: Content. I'm really excited to. And... I totally I'm, and I'm very excited to answer questions. Uh, I just before we do, I want to share one more tool or takeaway Great. that we talk about, and this is probably the most important of them all. And this, and it's what we call tribe. Now that you, that word has really gotten overused a lot in the social media sphere, and you know people think that you know if you have you know a thousand or ten thousand Twitter followers or thousand Facebook likes or whatever that that's your tribe. Uh, that's no, that's bullshit. That's your audience, and it's valuable to have an audience. I I get a lot of value from having an audience, as do you, Neil. But tribe is different. Tribe also people think tribe is oh it's my friend group you know it's the, it's the people i go out uh, drinking with after work or whatever but that's not what we're talking about what we're, when we talk about tribe we're talking about a community a cohesive community of people that you know and love over time they all know each other that's the key you know when people talk about networks there's really two ways you can think about network one is breadth like how many people do you know how how wide a geographic area is your network. Do you only have a network in, in your home city or do you have a network across the country or across the world? So that's network breadth. But I think much, much more important actually is net, what they call network density, which is how well do the people you know know each other. And what I've discovered as someone who's invested a lot of time into building my network, and I actually lecture about networking, and I I gave a talk to your society about networking, uh, that network density is actually where the super sauce is. Um, Having the people you know know each other. Because when you have that, what happens is you get a cohesive tribe that forms over time uh, where you're all invested in each other's lives. So instead of you just investing in your life, maybe you have 50 people invested in your life. And so many amazing things happen out of this. Um, first of all, um, it's just, it's valuable in itself. Um, you know, Aristotle said that if a man didn't have any friends, he would be poor, even if he had every other wealth in the world. And that's, that's so obviously true that our friendships, our relationships are the things that really give our life the most meaning and, and give us the feeling of having, uh, wealth in our life is, is how solid and meaningful and rich are your relationships. Um, so you get you get a direct benefit just from the value of having a tribe, but you also get a lot of indirect benefits. for example, uh, both on the upside and the downside of your financial life. On the upside, um, you get access to lots of economic opportunity. you know your your friends will are always you know aware and looking out for different jobs or or business opportunities that that might be valuable to you. Um, and you also, uh, and you know, if you're out of work, um, the first place you'll go to try to get leads for where you should work is your tribe. or it may even be that that people in your tribe have a business that that um, you can partner with or you could you could work with either short term or long term. And then on the downside is uh, is that a tribe is like insurance. It's you know it, before we had the nuclear family system and before we had 401 Ks and IRAs and um, things like that, most people, their insurance was their community. You know, if their house burned down, their community helped them build it up. If they were out of work, they went and lived with their extended family. And, you know, that model has pretty much passed and we're not arguing that you should, you know, rely on your parents or your brother or sister or something for your financial security. But we do argue that you should build out a tribe so that if there are economic shocks to you or to the wider economy, you have people who are there and who've got your back. Um, one of the measures we talk about um, for true wealth is how many couches can you sleep on for how long. Um, so you know, I know that if I lost my home for some reason, or if I um, if I couldn't work, or if you know, if the publishing industry imploded and I, I couldn't make any more money, um, I know that there's probably you know fifty homes that I could spend a month in, you know, happily. Um, so I, I have that social insurance because I have built up a tribe, um, and you know, many, many people, if you ask them like, what's your biggest fear financially, they say, well, it's being homeless. You know, think of how many people lost their homes in the, in the housing crash, um, that was, happened only like a decade ago. Um, so many people lost their homes. Well, you know that you're not going to be out in the street if you have a tribe, So there's, there's so many benefits to building tribe and you can invest in that. Um, uh, One of the ways actually you can start investing is really simple. Um, You can go to um, our website, safeplan.org, safeplan.org. And we have a true wealth calculator there that's free. And you can actually calculate like what is your current true wealth um, in all these different areas, tribe. Um, your value to others, your happiness exchange rate, all these things. And then you can get a plan for where you should invest, like what what, you know, what investment steps you should take. Um, so I've pretty much covered all the major takeaways, and I, I would love me, now let to… You, let me ask you one, one
0: question yeah. that I'm, I'm curious as you're… I'm just kind of thinking as you're yeah. speaking, which is, you know, uh, when, I, when I did emergency… Okay, yeah, I started off with emergency, thinking I had to accumulate things, get all yeah. my emergency supplies in my uh, garage, right. get my passports, get my you know bank accounts uh you know of overseas uh, bank accounts right. and but I ended up thinking that I really need the skill sets because there there are things that people can take away from you and things people can't take away from you, right and uh, you know if, if someone can uh, kick you out of your home and you lose you, those supplies there, someone can take away your documents, <clears> if you have no documents, but the skills no one can take away. So I'm curious within your idea of true wealth. When you're talking about a tribe, no one can, you know, no one can really take that away from you. And yeah. even if, like, you know, again, maybe by shit talking, but you're just going to lose your fake friends. Um, if you have, uh, uh, you know, some of the things we're talking about. So, the the four, um, the four hireable skill sets you were talking about. Um, so my question is, is, is one of the overall ideas uh, getting things that are permanently a part of and who you are and woven into the fabric of your being, so that you are your own value versus your yeah. bank account
1: absolutely i mean i i'm i'm totally down with all the stuff you were writing about in emergency and you know i think that my if i were to you know i'm not a financial forecaster but if i were to bet on this i i think there's going to be a major uh currency monetary crisis uh coming up you know in the next 10 years um there's just so much debt in the world it, it I, I find it hard to believe that that we can continue to just create all this debt consumer debt government debt And not have some kind of implosion. So then, you know, the question is well, what should you do? Well, I do think it's a good idea to, you know, to have some emergency supplies. I do think it's a good idea to have some you know, some amount of gold, for example, or non, um, you know, non fiat currencies. But let's say the shit really hits the fan. And you know, you've got to like emigrate to Costa Rica or something because there's, you know, Donald Trump wins. And there's like fascism in America. I'm, I'm sorry, to any Trump fans out there, but I just, just got to say it. Um, you know, so you know, let's say let's say like the shit really hits the fan and we're, there's terrorism and war. I know if you if you try to go across the border with a bag of gold coins, it's probably going to get confiscated. Um, and if you try to withdraw money from your bank account at the ATM, the ATMs probably aren't going to work. And that's you know that's literally happened in in countries where there's been major financial panics. Is like no one can get any access to the money they have, and the money they have is being devalued every day. So, anyways, I'll I'll go I'll I'll get off my survivalist. Soapbox here and say just like you said. So
0: So 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 so, go ahead.
1: Yeah, so just like you said, if you're dropped in the middle of a country that you have no financial resources and you have you know you have no gold and you have no what overseas bank account, but you know how to network well, you're always going to find where that community is. You know, you're going to find where those people who have economic opportunity are. Um, these are skills that just can't be taken away from you. Whereas everybody knows that money and housing, those things can be taken away from you in an instant.
0: So uh, yeah. So what? It was, so so great. So so what? I want What I want to do, and sorry I have to. Uh, so what? We I have a hard stop at five, and I have a call. I'm going to do that call, and hop back on this call. So I, this was planned for an hour, but I think what you were saying was so informative, did I didn't want to open it up for Q and A right away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all so I'll, I'll do is if you want to open it up for Q and A's with Michael. You know, my Michael will answer it, and then as soon as I'm off this call, I'm going to hop in and rejoin for as long as uh, you know, for 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 another uh, another segment. So great. So we'll open up the Q and A's. Pablo will tell you how to do it, which is pressing one on your phone, but Pablo will lead you into that. Uh, Michael will be there for questions, and then I'll and then I'll hop back on, and we can always, of course, uh, you know, I'm always accessible and available to to you guys. But uh, Michael is not, so it's great to get his thoughts and perspective, and really feel free. Uh, you know, Michael, like myself, is a is a generalist. I feel safe in saying that he has a lot of experts on a lot of territories and, and areas. So feel free really to ask him about uh, you know anything that you want to be uh, working on, looking at uh, in the new year, or how to implement these concepts into your, your life, in more, maybe a more practical and a more specific way that's specific to your life. So please take advantage of this time to to get some real uh, additional value for yourself. You can go then. Directly implement. I, I love the. I really love these concepts, and and I uh, hope you took some notes on them so you can write them down and kind of remind yourself when you get too lost in the weeds of what true wealth and, and happiness and value are. So uh, take it away. and I'll be back in a few minutes.
1: Awesome. Thanks so much, Neil.
0: Oh, all right, guys. Uh, by the way, great stuff, Mike. I'm here moderating in the back, taking
1: notes at the same time. Awesome. Good thank, stuff. thank you.
0: All right, fellas. So as Neil said, uh, if there, if you have a question, uh, you know, something you want help on, something you would love Michael's opinion on, just press the number one. I'll go ahead and unmute you, and we'll give you the floor.
1: All right. While people are asking their questions, I'm just gonna say. Um, <laughs> the, I, my piece, people say, "Well, what's the best investment you can possibly make, uh, given you know your your book?" And I say, "Well, you know what the best investment is: <laughs> spend eighteen dollars and go buy my book. You can get it on Amazon for eighteen dollars hardcover. Now you can get it for like twelve dollars um, Kindle. It's called The Last Safe Investment. It's by me, Michael Ellsberg, and my co-author Brian Franklin." And um, I think that's the place to start. Um, and you know, it's probably going to be the best $18 investment you ever make, if I do say so myself.
0: Fantastic. Great recommendation. Uh, let's see here. Oh, all right. So first up, we have Naya. Naya can hear us. I can hear you guys. Hey, Pablo. Hello, Mike. Hi there. Thanks a lot for the talk. That was actually really good, and I have about four or five pages of so notes. Awesome.
1: <laughs> Great. Thank. I'm so glad it was helpful.
0: <laughs> the question I asked for you was, basically, you and me were talking about paying your dues and investing, investing in yourself by doing things like joining groups that will expose you to people who are more experienced than you, and maybe you're not doing it for money, but helping them out and doing tasks that allow you to gain experience. And what I want to ask is, at what point do you actually start requesting to get paid? Like, at what point in your career, or what point in your path, do you realize, okay, maybe now I should be asking to be paid or compensated?
1: Right. Um, that's a great question. Um, I, I th- first of all, I think there does have to be a period if you're developing a new skill where you work for free. So I'll give you example from my life. Um, I am a, a writer now. Um, I started out as an editor, also book manuscript editor, um, and I just wanted to get any experience I could. So I found entrepreneurs and I was learning copywriting. And I was like, look, I, w- I would read their email and I would say like, your emails suck and I'm learning copywriting. Can I try my hand at at writing um, at writing something for you? And then I would do it and they'd be like, whoa, this is way better than what we had. Yeah, thanks. Let me use this. And this again, these are people in my tribe. So that's, again, an example of why tribe is so important. So I was doing this, I was doing this, I was getting experience. One of the things you get paid for um, when you write for free or work for free is you get resume notches. So I've written somewhere around uh, 100,000 words for Forbes.com. Neil mentioned one of the articles I wrote about Tucker Max. Uh, I never got paid a penny for that. Uh, But it's been very helpful to say, "Hey, I've written these things for Forbes.com. Check it out." Like, there's a credibility there. So when you when you're starting out, you got to work for free to get credibility, to get experience, to get a portfolio of uh, work that you've done, and then there's going to become a certain point where you you got you know you're very popular when you work for free <laughs> you want to increase your popularity right. you know, <laughs> offer to work for free right um, but then at a certain point you start to feel resentful at it so when should you change well there's a concept that i wrote about on forbes actually called um finding your happy price um if you google my name e-l-l-s-b-e-r-g and the word ha- and the phrase happy price you'll find this article and a lot of people have told me this is the best article they've ever read on pricing. And the concept is this. You should always charge the least amount for which you're happy to do that given piece of work. So when you're starting out, like when I started writing for Forbes, I was just excited just to, to write for Forbes. That was exciting to me. So my happy price was zero. I was happy to do it for free. But at a certain point, I got really tired of writing for free. And you know now like my happy price to write a book is like, like $100,000. You know, that's I've gotten 125 for a book, I've gotten $200,000. You know, if someone said, Well, I want you to write a book, and here's $50,000 or 75, I'd probably say no, thanks. Um, So you always you always want to check in and see what's the least amount because you want to give the person a deal. You don't want to like try to jack up the price on them. You want to know what's the least that I'm going to be not just willing, not just kind of resentfully going along with it, but actually happy and excited to do this work. So in my case, you know, it was for free for a while. Then I was editing people's stuff. And at, at one time, my happy price was $25 an hour. Um, and then I went to $50 an hour. And then, and that, you know, that just, there's no set schedule. It's just, it's just like, when, when do you get sick of one price and you want a new price? Uh, Then I went up to 75. What I found usually, if you're charging by the hour, um, if you start to get in the 75 to hundred dollar an hour range, once you get there, you want to, you want to switch to per project pricing or monthly retainer pricing, because you come into what I call like the lawyer effect where if if someone's paying their lawyer, 200 bucks an hour and you're charging 200 bucks an hour for their services, your services, they're going to say, well, Hey, wait a minute. That's what I'm paying my lawyer. Why should I pay you that much? You don't even have a law degree. Now that's a stupid metric because obviously people can provide value without a law degree, but that's the way people think about it. So once you get up to a hundred, 150 per hour, you know, you should really start um charging by the project or uh, by by the monthly retainer and not not by the hour. So I hope that answers your question. Okay.
0: No, it it does actually. It seems like almost you have to build the credibility first, which is doing for three free and then at a point you have to charge or you charge really based on how the environment is. That's what it sounds like to me. you know that you're good and people know that you're good
1: too well including your own mental environment like how desperate are you for this work when you're starting out you might be desperate and I don't believe in like fronting and like you know charging a lot to show that you, you know to show that you're worth it I just believe in charging the happy price what's what would I be what's what's the amount I would really be happy to do this and what's the lowest amount on that that I'd be happy to do this work for
0: gotcha God, that actually helps a lot Michael and I have one more question for you the tucker max article
1: what's that called um it's called um let's see what is it I, uh, along, I, it's, I think tried. it's called Tucker Tucker and max did. Tucker Max gives up the game um, I actually I think all the listeners here would be very interested in that article because uh you know I had read his stuff I I I was kind of put off by his writing I, I think he's you know he's just he's so um the, the, his attitude towards women I really don't like in his writing, but i I met him at a conference, and I was talking to him, and he was saying, you know blah, blah blah," and then he said, "Well, my psychoanalyst said this, and i I just it was one of those like, "Whoa, stop the presses <laughs> you're see, you're in psychoanalysis right now?" and he said, "Yeah, I go five times a week and i said does does the public know about this?" And he said, no, no, I've, like, really changed my life. I'm not going out. I'm not, like, going to bars. I'm not really drinking anymore. I'm not, like, going and just having tons of casual sex. And I was like, okay, I need to write. I need to write about this. Like, can I interview you on this? And he gave me the interview. So it's a whole – it's a really interesting interview about, like, how a guy who was a really compulsive womanizer – becomes more mature in relation to women. And I know that a lot of the guys who have read the game and, you know, a lot of you guys who are on the call probably have gone through some version of this yourself. You know, what I see is like a lot of guys who started uh, the game when they were in their twenties, now they're in the thirties. And it, 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 you know, that when you're in your thirties, you often want a more meaningful relationship. You don't just want to have like some endless stream of casual, meaningless sex. Um, and so you kind of think about deeper things. Um, so that article is, is a good one to read if if that describes you at all.
0: Okay. And it's, yeah, it's just an interesting article because you really caught somebody at their transformation. And uh, and yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting article, I recommend. Yeah, yeah,
1: thank call, you. Way, guys, okay, so, cool.
0: Guys, as, as promised. Awesome, cool. Let's do a couple more. Thanks a lot, Mike. Happy New Year. Thanks yeah, Happy thank you. you. Happy New Year. Yes. All right, awesome. All right, so next up we have Jay. Jay, here's all right. Hi, Mike and you. Hi there. How are you? Good, good. So, I think I had good, good, successful year in 2015. I, I just wrote down my goals and how I can improve my uh, life in all aspects, like health, wealth, and relationships. Um, one of my major concerns is that I think I'm reasonably good in my wealth section but I really want to improve like take uh, total control and wealth department. And one other question is it's um I wanna be how how can I be a good public speaker? Um I think okay. I think I can, I think I can um, being in the game for almost two, three years, I, I can talk to people anywhere I want, I can ho- I can grab their attention, but I didn't practice much talking to, like, group of audience, group of people. I think I, uh, this year I want to master master that skill, be good at it. Mm-hmm. So I looked up at Toastmasters. One of my friends had, I live in New York City, by the way, and mm-hmm. he, said, like, uh, he, did, he did not have any good experience here in New York City. So I was looking for any other opportunities or any, what other options I can look into
1: yeah so um the 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 main way to get better at public speaking is to is to practice do it a lot because the the main problem with public speaking is that people are scared of it and if you're scared up there if if the audience can tell that you're nervous they instantly lose interest in you because they're like okay if this guy's nervous why should i listen to him like he doesn't even believe in himself why should i believe in him so the main thing is you've got to get experience in front of audiences. So you got its its like the the last question. Um, you know, you got to start really small and kind of working for free, as it were. So find—you um, know—if you can just think of all the different groups that you're a, a part of, and if you can find some way to give a short talk to any group you're a part of, like maybe at work, maybe there's uh, you could give some kind of lunchtime talk either on a topic relevant to work or on some interest that you want to share um, that might be interesting to people at work, or if you're a part of a community group or a church group or some kind of spiritual group, or if you're a part of any of the, you know, the society groups um, or any kind of lair or anything like that, you just want to get a chance, even if you're just talking to five people. I mean, shit, you could even host a dinner party at your house. And, um, you know, have five of your friends or 10 of your friends there and and plan to give a 10 or 15 minute talk. Um, it's called exposure therapy. You want to expose yourself to the thing you're afraid of again and again and again until you're not scared of it anymore. Um, and and you'll get better. And like I said, public speaking is a great super skill. If you're good at public speaking, you're going to f- find ways to <clears throat> excel at your work no matter what career you're in, and and create more value for other people.
0: Okay. So it should be like, I should choose specific topics which I'm good at and start working on it. Giving uh, presentations with five people and 10 people and slowly increasing and getting better
1: each day. Yeah, like what are some some, uh, areas that you know more about than the average person?
0: I, I think I, I, I work as a computer engineer. I'm, I, I've experienced like two, three years on computer networking and routers, switches, uh, storage boxes and, and how I used to tell storage boxes sometimes to customers and what, what exactly goes behind, behind, uh, behind these boxes and, and the replication how we move things from one place to other place, one city to uh, uh, other cities, and how we migrate, replicate, and make sure we have ninety nine percent redundancy of any data, any info, any um, very important information of uh, mm-hmm. of the corporate world,
1: yeah, not just normal data. Okay, so um, I have a story in the book. Uh, about a guy who named Raj um, who wanted to get better at um, he wanted to become a data scientist and he was a computer guy like you are but he didn't he didn't have a, sp- a specific focus on data science so what he did is he created he was in Atlanta and he created the Atlanta meetup for data science even though he wasn't a data scientist, he figured well I don't have to be a data scientist to organize meetings of data scientists. So this this grew and grew and he became like a networker among data scientists and he had experts talking at the meetups but then eventually he learned he taught himself and then he started talking at the meetups and then he got a job at an amazing uh, uh, company as a chief data scientist like within a year. So um meetup.com is a great resource. Um what you can do I yeah, talked I about yeah, yeah, I talked about contextual importing so let's say you are you know you have this computer expertise well you may not be able to give a talk at a meeting of computer people because maybe they have exactly the same skills you do and they you know they you wouldn't be seen in their eyes as like a special expert but if you go to get in touch with a meetup of let's say um, young entrepreneurs for example they probably do want access to your technical information. And you probably do know way more than they do. So you can import your skills into this different context and create more value. That's an example of t- contextual importing that I talk about. OK. <clears throat> Great. Thank you.
0: Cool. Thank you.
1: We'll yeah, and more.
0: Yes. And my other question was, how do improve my life?
1: Uh, I'm sorry I missed that word how to improve which yeah. what
0: uh, My my wealth in, in my life like you know, like I think I have good savings right now but if I if I lose my job for three three four months if I don't have a job then I'll be in um, tight spot so I don't want to come across that situation and have more savings in my in my bank account so I was thinking how
1: to improve my wealth to any passive income or any other way. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm not a huge fan of passive income. I think that it's more of a marketing myth than a reality. I'm not saying that nobody uh, creates passive income, but um, usually it's more like a a kind of marketing tool to get people to buy, you know, programs and things rather than like a reality that people actually consistently bring into their lives. yeah, uh, my,
0: Michael and I know a lot of, uh, I'm just going to take this question quickly because I want to move on. We have a bunch of cars lined up, and I know I definitely have to be off at 5.30 for my next call, which yeah. is, um, uh, you know, uh, so two things about it, true. I always say this in, with their Money Game program. I talk about the uh, the myth of passive income, which is, I know the people who, who teach passive income, and I know the people who sort of, like, claim to have a passive income, uh, and the truth is, they do have an income that just rolls in, but... The thing is that they also they also do work hard on it. They just love what they're doing, so you know. And and over time, things change so quickly. If you pay no attention to it, it, it starts changing. So, yeah, uh, you know, it is it, there. There are ways to have sort of a to, to sort of be your own boss. Um, but uh, but a lot of the passive income, or the whole idea or the meaning of the word passive, is sort of even Tim Ferriss, who I say this all the time, over the four-hour work week. That guy works really hard, really hard but he doesn't spend more than four hours in stuff that he doesn't really enjoy and isn't passionate about. Yeah. Um, so uh, so, um, so. what I do want to say is, it looks like, the question is coming out of fear. It's a fear-based question. Well, if I have this money, but if I lose it, what do I do? And I think making decisions out of fear is probably not in keeping with the talk that Michael just gave, uh, which is, uh, what do I do if this happens? My thought is, if you want to set yourself up, uh, then have, having – and pay attention to this call, and I think your question is a good example of you reverted to your thinking, uh, to your old school thinking versus the new school thinking that Michael is giving you, which is, if you want to invest, then don't think, how do I get this passive income? What's the, my last safe investment? Invest in yourself. You know, you're doing the society, and, and, and that's a great thing, and what all, you know, you're working in your social, social set, that's a great thing, and work on some of these other skill sets. Because that's going to give you the safety, not the money in the bank is going to go away. Uh, so, so, so that's my thought on that. Uh, make, make, have an active life instead of a passive income. How about that? All right, let's yeah. do a couple more calls. Okay, great. All right, so the next up. Let's see who we got here. Uh, Ryan, Ryan, uh, can you hear us? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? what's happening, man? Cool. Hey, hey, Neil. Hey, Michael. Thank you so much for this. This is awesome. Um, You know, Michael, I'm just thinking about having this conversation with my wife and kind of anticipating some some differences of opinion when it comes to prioritization for like the systemic spending Mm -hmm. and happiness exchange. Mm -hmm. Um, Just wondering if you have any advice on how to approach that or kind of establish some objective criteria for Mm -hmm. that discussion.
1: What? Yeah, sure. What what do you think the difference in opinion might be, just so I can really tailor it to what you need?
0: Well, in a way, I just think that we're kind of at different life stages. She's been a stay-at-home mom for the past few years. She'll be going back to work in probably a year or two, and I'm I'm in this very kind of pretty heavy growth mindset. I've had some kind of life changes over the past few years, and, um, you know, I have a small business and stuff, so I don't know. I could I could just see a, um, some potential conflicts between like making decisions that are more lifestyle driven versus like long term investment in, in growth and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Um, well, yeah. you know it it, um, it depends a lot on um, you know how stressed out you are about money right now. Probably if you're if you're very stressed out it makes sense to make investments first that you're going to really see a return right away Um, so that might be um, investing in you know more skills for yourself as an entrepreneur or better skills for your wife as she uh, enters the workforce again um, or networking to have more opportunities those are the kind of things that can bring in more money right away and again Uh, you know, the the returns you can get on that are just so much better than what the markets have been doing recently, even in terms of cold, hard cash. Um, But then, you know, then you want to think about um, when you're when you're feeling a little less stressed about money, you want to think about, okay, how can we improve our life in a way that gives us more happiness um, for less money? Um, so I'll give you an example that many couples face, and I'm, I'm in no way implying that this is true in your case. But you know, a lot of couples have, uh, you know, very, um, they're, they're fighting, or they're having arguments, or they're, they're not communicating well. And they're like, well, you know, fit, th- you know, therapy, that's, that's $150 a week, that's, that's almost 600, that's $600 a month, or um, $7,200 a year, that's a lot of money. Well, if you think about it, think of how unhappy people are when they're fighting with their significant other. Um, you know, that basically when you're fighting with your significant other, almost all happiness drains out of your life and you're basically miserable no no matter how much money you have. Um, so that $7,200 on therapy, um, that could actually make a huge difference, um, in your happiness. Uh, and then you have to spend less money on, You know going shopping to feel better or you know so so much of the money that gets spent is actually like retail therapy to kind of make up for the fact that people are feeling shitty in their jobs or their love life or whatever so again i'm not implying you know that necessarily that would be a good investment for you because i don't know your particular circumstance but but in general that kind of thing can be a really powerful uh investment in um in your happiness
0: Let's kind of wrap things up with a couple of quick thoughts, and thank you. And I hope this 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 uh, this helps. I'm, ex- I'm excited. Uh, I think we should do another call with Michael about uh, about uh, game stuff and lifestyle stuff because I think I think it would be really interesting. Maybe uh,
1: I'd, I'd be happy talk to talk about that stuff. Michael, yeah, I've it's been fun, on really uh, fun
0: for us to talk about it.
1: I've been on quite a journey, um, <laughs> so I would I would love to do that.
0: Okay, so maybe maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll uh, we'll do that we'll do that for sure. Um, so just to kind of wrap things up and thank you to everyone who contributed and for those whose questions didn't get ask, uh, asked, uh, um, don't worry, I'm here. You've got your mentors. There, there's uh, and hopefully something here asked, answered a question. So first of all, Michael's book is the last safe investment. If you click on the email that we gave to you and the hyperlink under his uh, book title, you can go straight to Amazon and get it. Or even better, if you. I'm sure it's at Barnes and Noble and uh, some of the retailers. Because some Penguin supported in a bookstore, that's always even uh, better for an author and better for the author's business. But for sure, get it on Amazon. Get it for presents for people. Uh, you know what Michael said here is obviously just the just a just the tip a tip of the iceberg in this book. It's really nicely illustrated with a lot, a lot of sort of graphics and thoughts. And Brian Franklin is a is a is a is a genius uh, too. Uh, so I really recommend it. The last safe investment. Uh, spending now to increase your true wealth forever sounds like a good value proposition to me. Uh, so if you want to thank him for being on his call, that's a cool thing you can do for him and for yourself. Um, and, uh, and other than that, you know, we're starting a new year. And it's really time, and I'm happy to hear the progress that people have made both on the inside of, their, of uh, themselves and outside of their lives. And let's continue growing, improving, and supporting each other together. Anything you want to
1: say in closing, right, Well, I just want to thank you so much for having me. Um, it really means a lot to me. I thought we had a great discussion um, and um, the questions were great. And I also just want to remind listeners that um, there's a ton of free resources on our site, which is safeplan.org, S-A-F-E plan.org, including a, tr- a free true wealth calculator. So check those out in addition to the book. And um, thank you all so much for, for being on here. And thank you, Neil.